Episode 10. Greetings, and welcome to the Patuxent General. This week, we have the finale of our holiday series with several tasty additions. Our recipe is a family one for ginger snaps, perfect for a post-shoveling break or a cozy treat while someone else does the beef. Our drink has two versions, one old-fashioned and one vegan. Let's tackle eggnog. Then you need to tuck in for the last installment of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. But first, a shout-out to our Patreon subscribers this year. We cannot fully express how much help you are. Even a small $5 amount makes so much difference. You make us blush at your show of support. So, this week we have special treats just for you, including recipes and photos from Patuxent Village. Check out our Patreon page to find out how to get a mug and bumper sticker with a Patuxent Sunrise. Put away the holiday. Platters, glasses, worries in silver. Take joy in the beauty of no sparkle. Settle in for a winter's silence. All right. Let's start with Grammy's Ginger Cookies. These ginger cookies were the cornerstone of Christmas cookies at Grammy and Grandpa's house. For me, the smell brings me back to being just tall enough to reach up and steal one and run away. As children, we were allowed to help roll out the little balls at the kitchen table. This small act built solidarity between the cousins. We chatted, were silly, and rolled. These are meant to be eaten with a cup of tea. However, it would be lovely with eggnog as well. Yummy! First, preheat your oven to 350 degrees. You will need three quarters of a cup of softened butter. Grammy used shortening back in the day, but I switched to unsalted butter years ago. Also, one cup of sugar, one quarter cup dark molasses, one egg, two cups of flour, two teaspoons baking soda, one teaspoon cinnamon, one teaspoon ginger, and one teaspoon cloves. First, you should mix your dry ingredients and set them aside, and that is the flour, baking soda, cinnamon, ginger, and cloves. Then, combine softened butter and sugar in the mixer and cream for about two minutes. Then, add molasses and egg. Scrape down and beat until combined. At this point, add dry ingredients and mix until a uniform color. Roll the balls the size of a walnut, as Grammy would say. Roll in sugar and then squish with the bottom of a glass. Bake 10 to 12 minutes, and this makes about three and a half dozen. So delicious. Eggnog recipe. Okay, so I did a little searching about eggnog, and it seems that although similar to posset, a drink from the 13th century, nog as we know it is an American thing. It may have been a derivative from egg grog, a hot egg and ale mixture served in a grog mug. I'm dubious about that mix, but I do have a lovely classic eggnog recipe from the Farmer's Almanac for you. While doing my research, I found a super delicious-sounding vegan version, so I thought we'd do both. First up, vegan eggnog. You will need three cups unsweetened almond milk, one cup raw macadamia nuts, one teaspoon freshly grated nutmeg, one half teaspoon ground cinnamon, one teaspoon pure vanilla extract, one quarter of a cup of sugar, two one-ounce shots rum, 
two one-ounce shots brandy, and some cinnamon sticks. First, place the almond milk and macadamia nuts in the blender and blend on high until very creamy. Then, add the nutmeg, cinnamon, vanilla, and sweetener and blend well. Pulse in the rum and brandy and divide among four glasses. Sprinkle with freshly grated nutmeg and garnish with cinnamon sticks. For a non-alcoholic version, simply replace the alcohol with additional vanilla extract to taste, one additional tablespoon at a time, or use a non-alcoholic rum flavoring. Use this basic recipe to experiment with different flavors of eggnog. It's easy to add a little flavored extract or a flavored brandy or other alcohol such as snops to add favorite holiday flavors such as gingerbread or peppermint or chocolate or canned pumpkin. Do it your way. Classic eggnog. You will need 12 large eggs separated, 1 cup plus 2 tablespoons of sugar, 1 half teaspoon of salt, 3 cups heavy cream, 1 tablespoon vanilla, 7 cups whole milk, 2 cups rum, 1 cup brandy, freshly grated nutmeg, and cinnamon sticks. In a medium bowl, beat egg whites until they start to thicken. Add 1 cup of sugar and then beat until thick. In a second bowl, beat the egg yolks and salt until thick. In a third large bowl, beat cream until it starts to thicken. Add sugar and vanilla, then add milk, rum, and brandy, beating continually. Combine beaten egg whites and yolks and beat until mixed and thick. Mix all ingredients and chill. Serve with a sprinkle of freshly grated nutmeg on top of each glass in a cinnamon stick garnish. If you're nervous about using raw eggs, there are many recipes that also use a cooking process, but we like this one. I want to tell you about my friend Mike and his electromagnetic pinball museum and restoration arcade. It's an all-inclusive place to relax and share anything related to modern pinball, EM pinball, and arcade games. A group of pinball and arcade fans with an addiction to games of all kinds and Lego too. $10 gets you free play on pinball and arcade games all day. You can find them at 881 Main Street, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, or online at www.electromagneticpinballmuseum.com. Welcome to the finale of our reading of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. So cuddle up with some snaps and a drink of your choice. Here we go. They were in another scene in place. A room, not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, so like that last that Scrooge believed it was the same until he saw her, now a comely matron, sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge in his agitated state of mind could count. And unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, they were not forty children conducting themselves like one. But every child was conducting itself like 40. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief. But no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much. And the latter, soon beginning to mingle in the sports, got pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What I would not have given to be one of them. Though I would never have been so rude, no. I wouldn't for all the wealth in the world have crushed that braided hair and torn it down. And for the precious little shoe, I wouldn't have plucked it off, God bless my soul, to save my life. And as to measuring her waist in sport as they did, bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. 
I should have expected my arm to have grown around it for punishment and never come straight again. And yet, I should have dearly liked Ione to have touched her lips, to have questioned her, to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes and never raised a to have let loose waves of hair, an inch of which would be a keepsake beyond price. In short, I would have liked, I do confess, to have the lightest license of a child, and yet to have been man enough to know its value. But now, a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she, with laughing face and plundered dress, was borne towards it at the center of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. Then the shouting and the struggling and the onslaught that was made to the defenseless border, the scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, to spoil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight to his cravat hung round his neck, pummel his back and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. The shouts of wonder and delight with which the development of every package was received, and the terrible announcement that the baby had taken in the act of putting a doll's frying pan into its mouth and was once more suspected of having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued on a wooden platter, and the immense relief in finding this was a false alarm. The joy and gratitude and ecstasy. It is enough that by degrees the children and their emotions got out of the parlor, and by one stair at a time, up to the top of the house, where they went to bed and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever, when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and her mother at his own fireside. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which some strange way there were fragments of all the faces it had shown him, wrestled with it. Leave me be, take me back, haunt me no longer. In the struggle, if it can be called a struggle in which the ghost had no visible resistance on its own part was undisturbed by any effect of its adversary, Scrooge observed that its light was burning high and bright and dimly connected that with its influence over him, he seized the extinguisher cap and by a sudden action pressed it down upon its head. The spirit dropped beneath it, so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. And though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide this light, which streamed from underneath it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and further, of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze in which his hand relaxed had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Stave three, the second of the three spirits. Awakening in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, Scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the especial purpose of holding a conference with a second messenger dispatched to see him through Jacob Marley's intervention. But finding that, he turned uncomfortably cold when he began to wonder which of his curtains this new specter would draw back. He put them every one aside with his own hands and lying down, established a sharp 
lookout all around the bed, for he wished to challenge the spirit on the moment of its appearance and did not wish to be taken by surprise and made nervous. Gentlemen of the free and easy sort who plume themselves on being acquainted with a move or two and being usually equal to the time of day express the wide range of their capacity for adventure by observing that they are good for anything from pitch and toss to manslaughter, between which opposite extremes, no doubt, there lie a tolerably large and comprehensive range of subjects. Without venturing for Scrooge quite as heartily as this, I don't mind calling on you to believe that he was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances, and that nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. Now, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing. And consequently, when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent bit of trembling. Five minutes. Five minutes. Ten minutes. A quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed, to the very core and center of a blaze of ruddy light which streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour and which, being the only light, was more alarming than a dozen ghosts, as he was powerless to make out what it meant or would be at, and was sometimes apprehensive that he might be at that very moment an interesting case of spontaneous combustion without having the consolation of knowing it. At last, however, he began to think, as you or I would have thought at first, for it is always the person not in the predicament who knows what ought to be done about it. It would unquestionably would have done it, too. At last, I say, he began to think that the source and secret of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room, which hence, on further tracing it, it seemed to shine. This idea taking full possession of his mind, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by name and bade him enter. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. He obeyed. Scrooge. It was his own room, there was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked like a perfect grove, from each part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe, and ivy reflected back in the light as if so many mirrors had been scattered there. And such a mighty blaze went roaring up the chimney as that dull petrification of a hearth had never known in Scrooge's time or Marley's or for many and many a winter season gone heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense twelfth cakes, 
seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. In easy state upon his couch, there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up high up to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Oh, come in, exclaimed the ghost. Come in and know me better, man. Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been. And though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas present, said the spirit. Look upon me. Scrooge reverently did so. It was clothed in one simple green robe or mantle, bordered with white fur. This garment hung so loosely on the figure that its capricious breast was bare, as if disdaining to be warded or concealed by any artifice. Its feet, observable beneath the ample folds of its garment, were also bare, and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath, set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unrestrained demeanor, and its joyful air. Girded round its middle was an antique scabbard, but no sword was in it, and the ancient sheath was eaten up with rust. You have never seen the likes of me before, exclaimed the spirit. Never, Scrooge made answer to it. Have never walked forth with the younger members of my family, meaning, for I am very young, my elder brothers born in these later years, pursued the phantom. I don't think I have, said Scrooge. I am afraid I have not. Have you many brothers, spirit? More than eighteen hundred, said the ghost. A tremendous family to provide for, muttered Scrooge. The ghost of Christmas present rose. Spirit, said Scrooge submissively, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. Holly, mistletoe, red berries, ivy, turkeys, geese, game, poultry, brawn, meat, pigs, sausages, oysters, pies, puddings, fruit, and punch all vanished instantly. So did the room, the fire, the ruddy glow, the hour of night, and they stood in the streets among Christmas morning, where, for the weather was severe, the people made a rough but brisk and not unpleasant kind of music in scraping the snow from the pavement in front of their dwellings and from the tops of their houses, whence it was mad delight to the boys to see it come plumping down onto the road below and splitting into artificial little snowstorms. The house fronts looked black enough, and the windows blacker, contrasting with the smooth white sheets of snow upon the roofs, with the dirtier snow upon the ground, which last deposit had been plowed up in deep furrows by the heavy wheels of carts and wagons, furrows which crossed and recrossed each other hundreds of times where the great streets branched off and made intricate channels, hard to trace in the thick yellow mud and icy water. The sky was gloomy, and the shortest streets were choked up with a dingy mist, half thawed, half frozen, where heavier particles descended in a shower of sooty atoms, as if all the chimneys in Great Britain had, by one consent, caught fire and were blazing away to their dear heart's content. There was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet... There was an air of cheerfulness abroad that the clearest summer air and brightest summer sun might have endeavored to diffuse in vain. For the people who were shoveling away on the housetops were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another from the parapets. 
and now and then exchanging a snowball. Better-natured missile by far than many a wordy jest, laughing heartily if it went right and not less heartily if it went wrong. The Politeer's shops were still half open, and the Fruitier's shops were radiant in their glory. There were great, round, pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts, shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen, lolling at the doors and tumbling out into the street in their apoplectic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girthed Spanish onions, shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars, and winking from the shelves in wanton slyness as the girls went by, and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples, clustered high in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from conspicuous hooks that people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods, and pleasant shufflings ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were Norfolk biffins, squat and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons, and in great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten for dinner. The very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl. Though members of a dull and stagnant bloodied race apparently appeared to know that there was something going on. And to a fish went gasping round and round their little world in slow and passionless excitement. The grocers, oh, the grocers nearly closed with perhaps two shutters down or one, but through those gaps such glimpses. It was not alone that the scales descending on the counter made a merry sound, or that the twine and roller parted company so briskly, or that the canisters were rattled up and down like juggling tricks, or even the blended scents of tea and coffee that were so graceful to the nose. Or even that the raisins were so plentiful and rare, the almonds so extremely white, the sticks of cinnamon so long and straight, the other spices so delicious, the candied fruit so caked and spotted with molten sugar as to make the coldest onlookers feel faint and subsequently bilious. Nor was it that the figs were moist and pulpy, or that the French plums blushed in their modest tartness from their highly decorated boxes, or that everything was so good to eat and in its Christmas dress. But the customers were all so hurried and so eager in the hopeful promise of the day that they tumbled up against each other at the door, crashing their wicker baskets wildly and left their purchases on the counter and came running back to fetch them and committed hundreds of the like mistakes in the best humor possible. While the grocer and his people were so frank and fresh, the polished hearts with which they fastened their aprons behind might have been their own, worn outside for general inspection, the Christmas dolls to peck at if they choose. But soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces. At the same time, there emerged from scores of by-streets, lanes, and nameless turnings, innumerable people, carrying their dinners to the baker's shops. The sight of these poor revelers appeared to interest the spirit very much, for he stood with Scrooge beside him in the baker's doorway, and taking off the covers as their bearers passed, sprinkled incense on their dinners from his torch. 
It was a very uncommon kind of torch, for once or twice, when there were angry words between some dinner carriers who had jostled each other, he shed a few drops of water on them from it, and their good humor was restored directly. For they said, It's a shame to quarrel on Christmas Day, and so it was, God love it, so it was. In time, the bells ceased, and the bakers were shut up, and yet there was a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners, and the progress of their cooking in the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked as if its stones were cooking too. Is there a special flavor in that what you sprinkle from your torch, asked Scrooge? As there is, my own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? asked Scrooge. To any kindly given, to a poor one most. Why to a poor one most? asked Scrooge. Because it needs it most. Spirit, said Scrooge after a moment's thought. I wonder, you, of all the beings in the many worlds around us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunity of innocent enjoyment? I, cried the spirit, you would deprive them of the means of dining every seventh day, often the only day on which they can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge. Wouldn't you? I, cried the spirit, you seek to close these places on the seventh day said Scrooge, and that comes to the same thing. I seek, exclaimed the spirit. Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us in all our kith and kin, as if they had never lived. Remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Scrooge promised that he would, and they went on, invisible, as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town. It was a remarkable quality of the ghost, which Scrooge had observed at the baker's that notwithstanding his gigantic size, he could accommodate himself to any place with ease, and that he stood beneath a low roof quite as gracefully and like a supernatural creature as it was possible he could have done in any lofty hall. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, a generous, hearty nature, and his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to Scrooge's clerks. For there he went, and took Scrooge with him, holding on to his robe. And at the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with a sprinkling of his torch. Think of that. Bob had but fifteen bob a week himself. He pocketed on Saturdays but fifteen copies of his Christian name. And yet, the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Thank you so much for joining us here today at the PG. We wish peace and health to you all in the upcoming year. If you would like to reach out with a question, comment, or yes, please, a ghost story, our email is jess at patuxetgeneral.com. Please join us next week at the Patuxet General. Something for Posterity Production, pre-recorded in Patuxet.